0: Hi, freshet listeners. My name is Fatih Aktaş. I'm a teaching fellow at the University of Edinburgh. I use podcasts all the time in my teaching. They are a great way to engage students beyond just journal articles and books, and students really seem to love them. I'm now working with a research team trying to figure out how teachers, students, and the public use podcasts in their own teaching and learning. So if you have 15 minutes to spare. We invite you to go to freshheadpodcast.com slash survey to share your experiences. Thank you for your support. And now on with today's episode. This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brehm. Today, we continue our mini-series called The Fresh Ed Questionnaire. I've been asking guests a set of standard questions after each interview. These questions focus on how guests approach writing, reading, research, and supervision. I want to talk about them to highlight the many different approaches to the day-to-day activities we do inside universities. Today's episode focuses on reading and writing. I asked guests to describe how they approach reading and to name their favorite book or author. Here's what they had to say.
1: My name is Monisha Bajaj. I'm a professor of international and multicultural education at the University of San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I was going to read for you on this question a quote that I put on top of all the syllabi when I teach classes that students have to write projects in, and it's by Gloria Anzaldúa. And I can't claim to have read all of Gloria Anseldua's works, but I really like this quote. And I think she's an amazing theorist and, and scholar. Why am I compelled to write? because the world I create in the writing compensates what real world does not give me. By writing, I put order in the world, give it a handle so I can grasp it. Finally, I write because I'm scared of writing, but I'm more scared of not writing. So I really like that quote, because I think it reminds students that we're in a privileged position to be able to name some things and, and put them into writing and put it out there. And that, It is scary. It's scary for all of us. And it's also amazing when you're able to put stuff out and it resonates and someone from A different continent writes you and says, this really spoke to me. And I really found this to be useful. It's also great to be able to reach Mm -hmm. many more people than come to your classes through your writing. So I have a couple favorite books that come to mind offhand. When you ask that question, one of them is the God of small things by Aaron Roy that I read 20 plus years ago and was just so formative in my thinking. And it's just such a beautiful book. And then more recently in the last decade or so, I read a book called homegoing by Yaa Gyasi that just that book rocked my world. It was so good. And I can't stop thinking about it. And so I would say those two books are just beautiful, beautiful books that always I come back to and, and think about in terms of thinking about writing.
2: I'm Junior Bloom. I'm a lecturer in sociology at California State University in Los Angeles. I think that really depends on what I'm writing and if I'm excited to write about it. If it's stuff that I've just got a brain itch where I've just got to say, oh my God, I've got this line of thought. I got to write. I got to write. That's easy, right? I've got these ideas. I want to get words on screen. Unfortunately, 98% of the time, it's not the case. Like, there are times where writing is pulling teeth. It is just brutal. And so what I'll tell myself is, I'm going to work on this for X amount of time. I'm going to work on this for 20. Or I want to write 50 words, 100 words, or I just get something out on screen. And I know that I might not use most of those 50 words, but I might use some of them. I've learned to approach writing in a very uh, unconventional, way, and I've had to learn to be okay with being weird. And one of the things that I'll do is I'll record myself having a conversation about what I'm thinking of writing. And I'll play it back for myself and I'll type out a transcript. And sometimes just getting in that writing rhythm, you know, it's why I don't do voice to text. I'll I'll physically type it out. That gets me in that writing rhythm. Or sometimes I'll type it out. I'll be exhausted. I'll go, I don't want to think about this for a day or two. I come back and I go, wow. I can't use like three quarters of this, but here's a quarter that I can use. Now I've got words on a screen. I've got ideas I can play with, but that comes as a result of being willing to be weird. You know, I've had conversations with people who were super in the know on what I was working on. I've had people where I said, hey, I'm trying to work on this project and I kind of limited it and said, what do you think of this? And so... Being unconventional, I think, sometimes goes a long way. And when it's stuff that I really don't want to work on, stuff I don't want to write, then I just set a limit, whether that's a word limit or a time limit for myself. So I've got a few, and I know it's a little bit of a laundry list, but I absolutely love working with Dr. Adam Sanford and Dr. Stacy Smith. I'm fortunate enough to have published with them on some of the social fallout of COVID-19. They're incredibly creative. They're incredibly encouraging, incredibly motivated. They're driven. I love working with them. There's Carroy Carter, who writes a lot of romance, and I'm lucky enough to know him. I get to see the effort and the consistency that he puts in. I also love his on Honesty, where he will read parts of his books to us and ask us for feedback. And he says, is this okay?" A couple other books and authors that I really enjoy. I'm right now reading Jonathan Mahler's Ladies and Gentlemen, The Bronx is Burning. And that's looking at New York City politics in the 70s and at kind of the culture wars and looking at within the context of the Yankees, the Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin fight. So it's kind of putting uh, those contexts against the racial background of what was happening in New York in the late 70s. And I think it's really fascinating. There's Dr. Alberto Testa. He writes about Italian football and fascism. And I always thought that that was super creative of looking at sport through politics, even though like we know around the world that sport and politics are very closely linked. I think he does a really fantastic job of linking it to the supporters groups. And then uh, the last author that I'm going to shout out is Dan Ariely. He's a social psychologist. And what I love about his work is not only does he do a huge volume of studies, but he's able to convey his studies to a really wide audience. And he's able to break down ideas into really easy, digestible pieces. And I think it makes everyone feel like they're in on this knowledge with him. And I think that that's the mark of a great writer is you're bringing people into your ideas and you're making them feel like, Oh yeah, we knew this all along with you. You just highlighted it for us.
3: So I'm Professor Susan Robertson and I'm Professor of Sociology of Education and also the uh, Co-Editor-in-Chief of Globalisation Societies and Education. How do I approach writing myself? I work very hard over a number of days generating what I call a long abstract and in some cases because I'm also co-writing and we go with my co-writer, I, we would be maybe reading together, adding bits to do with this extended abstract. The extended abstract might be about a thousand words, so it's, but in a way through that, you're trying to work out bits of the argument, which are not all going to be there, but at least essentially you've got a sense of where you might be hitting. But then I keep returning to this abstract and I might be re- phrasing or framing their title of the paper um, and adjusting the bits within that extended abstract as well. So that's a very specific uh, way in which I find it really useful to work. It's like a compass I keep on returning to and adjusting and finessing and so on. And I find it incredibly helpful to me just to keep a sense of where I'm heading. But it's not a compass that doesn't need adjusting, it absolutely does. I've got several favourite writers and I love the way in which writers like Richard Sennett deal with very complex issues, but ways in which they speak to you, not arrogantly through complicated language, but a language that enables you to be with him at a level of understanding. Rowan Connell would be another writer. I uh, enjoy um, what I like about Rowan Co- Connell's kind of work is this amazing way that she's able to grasp something of the inner psyche along with the structural, but also, again, not covering up the social or the issue area with, what would you say, kind of writing that is unnecessarily complicated and complex. I think we... Do the research issues a disfavour when we actually cover it up with the kind of language that makes it difficult for other individuals to access what is it that we're trying to say?
4: Uh, I am Aizuddin Mohamed Anwar and I am a lecturer in education at Keele University in the UK. I'm not necessarily a good person to ask advice in terms of writing, particularly because I feel like my approach to writing really changes depending on the project. I tend to be the kind of person who does not do a lot of kind of structured planning up front, which I feel it's 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 helpful. That it's I felt like it's it's never really been part of my my own process. I tend to read a lot before I can write something, and for me, it's taken some time to figure out when is the right time to stop reading and and to begin writing. Yeah. I think reading is a good kind of basis to writing. What makes someone a good writer is actually to be a good reader, um, not just to read a lot, but to read and try to identify what makes particular forms of writing work. Um, so not just writing, uh, reading for enjoyment, which is important, and also reading for, for knowledge, but also reading for you know, understanding structure and rhetoric and, and all those kind of devices which, which are helpful. I guess I have some writers who are not necessarily academic writers who I, I turn to in terms of, of inspiration. But also I do have people who are academics whose writing I feel are are inspirational as well. In terms of a non-academic writer, uh, the writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie has been for me a very uh, influential figure in terms of my own thinking, particularly because of how she always tries to strike a balance between writing that is not necessarily complex, but can still be very beautiful. And in terms of academic writers, I tend to gravitate towards the work of anthropologists who lean into the form of storytelling that that enables writing to be much more richer and more descriptive. So someone like Annette Singh, for instance, comes to mind in terms of uh, big inspiration.
5: I'm Crystal Strong. I'm an assistant professor of Black Studies and Education at Rutgers University. It's a struggle, but when I really sit and think about it, I think the thing that has been most impactful to my writing is writing in community. And I think back to grad school and even right now, I'm always a part of a writing group and even if we don't read each other's writing, which is a great reason to have a writing group, we'll just gather together, whether it's in person or on Zoom and write together. And so when you don't feel like writing, you look next to the person next to you who is in the trenches with you. And it's just the most encouraging way to take what is often a very isolating experience and make it social and collective. Um, and these are kind of you know, they're my favorite writers slash scholars. And so it's their writing that I'm motivated by, but also the model they offer for how to like live a principled and meaningful life as a scholar. So one is W.E.B. Du Bois, who has to me, like one of the most incredible, just like political and intellectual trajectories of anyone I can think of. Um, just like the scope of his work, the scope of his just intellectual evolution. I draw so much inspiration from him. Another person is Walter Rodney, who is this kind of similar figure in terms of like the scholar, organizer, intellectual, um, and someone who kind of offers us a model for how to be like a scholar of and with the people, which is very important to me. And then I'll say Tony Morrison, who I just think is one of the most honest and creative and just beautiful writers who models in her writing, but also in her life. Just this kind of like creativity and boldness that I can only aspire to.
4: I'm Ezequiel Gomez-Carride. I'm working at the University of San Andres in Argentina, and I'm assistant professor. In terms of writing, something that I found useful is they have writing groups, they kind of shared the other students their advance, their, yes, their new writings and that stuff. I, I found that that's very useful for them and, and for the process. I was very moved during my graduate students with the Distinction Bourdieu's book, also with Jean Anion's Radical Possibilities, also with Foucault. The books that make me think or make me feel a lot, those are my favorite books.
6: Hello, my name is Alison Milner and I'm an assistant professor at Oldburg University in Denmark. How do you approach your own writing? I've learned a lot over the years in terms of my own writing. I used to be a little bit perfectionist. I used to feel that I had to read every single article that was available on the topic before I could even put pen to paper. Now I'm much better at skimming. I understand that the writing process is long and can take many twists and turns. And actually, strange as this may seem, I do actually enjoy peer review feedback. Um, because I actually like the opportunity to improve my work and I like the opportunity to think about my work differently. I don't necessarily always agree with everything they say, but I do see that as part of the process. So yes, I think writing is very much an individual activity about finding voice, but having other voices kind of offer advice is also really helpful. As a new researcher, as a beginning researcher, I found it quite difficult, initially coming from teaching, to engage with a lot of academic texts. And what I did first, and this might could be seen as another tip for potential researchers is, and it was actually advice given by my PhD supervisor, was to actually watch the YouTube videos of these particular academics talking about their research and then engaging with their texts afterwards. And because it became much more lucid then, it became much clearer what they were saying in their academic formal language of a text, um, having listened to their paper presentation at a conference or, uh, you know, their dialogue with another academic. So I think um, one person I would say <laughs> who um, I enjoy reading now, having seen him talk, is Bob Jessup and his um, work on governance. So, but and I think I, I definitely recommend if there are certain social theorists, political theorists who are quite complex in their writing to actually look at other... Um, media for sources of inspiration of, and for kind of access into them um, because that really helped me other than that I would say my PhD supervisors both actually were very good writers in their own way and taught me a lot about how to connect with different audiences through their writing so I think that's something as well to think about when you choose your PhD supervisor is there somebody's work you enjoy reading mm. that you connect with on that level
7: I'm Lachlan McNamee. I'm an assistant professor of political science at UCLA and a lecturer of politics at Monash University. You know, in some ways, you know, as a graduate student, I started out like writing, you know, in some ways mimicking poor writers, like writers in my own discipline who maybe use a lot of jargon, you know, through in a lot of literature reviews and hid their own arguments. Yeah, but it, it took me some time to develop my own confidence, you know, in the course of writing my book to actually Mimic the style of the writer who I liked. Who I liked the most was J- James C. Scott. And I found that people responded very well to that, to writing in an engaging way, in a way that, you know, in some in some ways, we're trained not to do is academics. But I think there's so much scope to improve the quality of academic writing by by almost pretending like you're writing for a semi-popular audience, and how would you grip them? Well, you do so through anecdotes, you do so through you know, um, juxtapositions, you do so through just wit. I think that there's so much scope to, to do that, and people respond really well to that. My favorite writer is James C. Scott. He's a political scientist, author, anthropologist, who's written a lot about state building in antiquity, and in some ways consciously mimicked his style, which is very engaging, very witty, and very acerbic, I guess you could say, uh, and he, clear who he disagrees with as well as who he agrees with. He's, he's He doesn't throw in, he doesn't do, you know, comprehensive reviews of what everyone's Said he makes clear, pretty clear arguments and, you know, in contrast to scholars who he disagrees with. So I always found his writings, especially about the emergence of early states, just always fascinating and always easy to read.
8: Hi, I'm Zina Zacharia, and I'm an assistant professor at the University of Maryland in College Park. I have a love-hate relationship with writing, honestly. I love to come up with the ideas and then I hate to get them down. And I think that that's been a fraught relationship for a very long time for me. But, um, you know, I'm also quite disciplined. So I make myself write. I um, have scheduled writing blocks that I stick to. And then I try to write in community whenever I can. Yeah, I think trying to write with others really helps. You know, I'm inspired by... A range of, of scholars, I think about Bell Hooks and Edward Said, both of whom had such layered writing and genres and who really spoke to who I am as an educator, but also as a researcher. And they were bold where others couldn't be. And I think that that's really allowed me to aspire to greater amounts of boldness, perhaps, you know, maybe when I'm more secure.
9: My name is Doron Wallace. I'm an assistant professor of sociology and education at Brandeis University and a research fellow at the Center on the Dynamics of Ethnicity at the University of Manchester. Writing for me is very, very hard-willed. It's, you know, oftentimes people will say, you know, I took a while to write a book. Writing, this book took me nearly 10 years to write because I find writing so hard. And I felt as though I was writing across traditions, across bodies of literature, and across national contexts. How I approach writing, interestingly enough, I start first by reading. I have to convince myself that I first have something to say, that there's something that others have not yet said. And as I realize that others haven't said it, I find this sort of crescendoing passion, as it were, to be clear about what I think needs to be said. So that's first where I start, is by, I suppose, listening to the literature and being clear about where my voice fits in. once i have that then i spend a fair amount of time you know crafting my abstract be it for the chapter or the book or for the article and that's my roadmap and so i spend a lot of time trying to get that right the sad part though and i would say to folks don't do this is that i am more of an editor than a writer and so i spend every t- if i step away from my desk for an hour i don't just hop back in and I start writing i every i edit everything i've written before That is not good practice. You need to free yourself to write and just trust yourself that in the end, you will come back to it and do it well. I've not been able to sort of, I think that's one way that the perfection of graduate school, that you always need to get it right has hampered me down, right? And I think if you can free yourself just to love writing, just to love reading, make it an everyday practice, right? That you don't feel like everything you write needs to be published. Yes, some things you write will be terrible, and you will be embarrassed that you wrote it, and it's okay. (laughs) And some things you write, you will shock yourself. You will be like, did I write that, or did Arundhati Roy write that? Like You will be moved sometimes by a line or two you might write. Nevertheless, it's really important just to free yourself and give yourself the opportunity um, to write, because I think that's how we become better writers, better thinkers, better analysts of social life. So I, I love the sort of lush, moving prose of Arundhati Roy, sort of powerful poetry of Louise Bennett, who's a Caribbean literary figure, the sort of accessible work of Stuart Hall. Those are just some examples um, of the kind of writing that that moves me. I think for me, what's been helpful as an ethnographer is to read widely. And by that I mean, let me be more precise, don't only read social science research. (laughs) Read literature, read sacred texts. It's okay to pick up the Bible, the Quran—it's it's okay. It is it is bold with like moving, lush prose that you can learn from. The craft of storytelling you can learn that across religious traditions, right? So that for me is really crucial: is to is to read widely. So I suppose instead of who's your favorite writer, I'm just moved by my favorite works, right? And I start there, and I pay attention to what they're trying to teach me about storytelling, right? and then I try to, to to hone that in a way that's authentic to who I am. Um, authentic to the locality where I'm at or where, you know, that I'm doing my work in and write from that place. I mean, I dream one day to to write like someone like Arundhati Roy or a Stuart Hall and that will probably never happen. But I am finding my own voice in the process, right? I'm finding my own style by suturing together the sort of literary traditions of Louise Bennett who writes in Caribbean quote-unquote quote, dialect that was long stigmatized and dismissed. And I, you know, write like that in my book because that's how... The parents I spoke with, that's how they speak. And I put that in my traditional academic work. I sometimes, some lines may sound like poetry as I'm describing what a community looks like. That is entirely fine. It feels authentic to what I experienced because that's what my field notes, that's what I documented in my field notes. And other elements are analytical and political in the sort of tradition of Stuart Hall, right? And all of that makes me who I am. And I would encourage each writer to sort of, don't pay attention to your favourite writer necessarily. Find your favourite works and become your favourite writer.
10: I'm Sharon Walker. I'm a lecturer in racial justice and education at the University of Bristol in the UK. I often have a fear of writing. And so I approach it by doing it because I have moments where I put it off and I put it off because I'm afraid of what the, the pen will look like on the page, so to speak. And so I think that um, I approach it by doing it. And even if it comes out as gobbledygook, It does not matter as long as I'm writing. So I think that's probably key for me. Oh, my favourite writer, if I'm thinking about academic writing, it is Stuart Hall. Stuart Hall. I often think if that man was still alive, I would bother him every single day. I absolutely love him. I love him not only because he shares a background and experience in common with my parents. I, he from the Caribbean came to Britain at a similar time, kind of lived that experience with Britain at a similar time as them. So I love him for that. And I love him that he saw the world and he looked at it analytically. He asked questions about it and he gave us things that we, even though he's no longer here, that we can now read those things and use those things to help us to understand and ask questions about the world. So I very much like him.
11: My name is Ian M. Cook. I am the Director of Studies of OLIVE, which is the Open Learning Initiative, which is based at the Central European University in Budapest, Hungary. I think like many people that have moments of writing that were really uncomfortable, like, uh, and a real slog, like especially the last chapter of PhD, which I finished writing in 2015 I didn't enjoy that at all but over time I found quite a lot of joy in writing especially now and that's by trying different methods and different styles so sometimes it really is maybe sitting down and uh, writing lots of notes on a piece of paper and then typing them up sometimes I've done co-writing where we co-authors we basically sat down for one hour and said, okay, we're going to write on this topic, you write for 20 minutes, then we swap the text, then you write for 20 minutes, then we swap the text and you write for 20 minutes, and we end up with a common piece of writing that we produce in an hour where we've all worked in different sections and we don't know whose is whose. And that was a great way of doing writing as well. It's a great way of getting ideas down on the page that no one feels ownership over. over. Um, so that's like another way of doing it. Or sometimes it's just nice to write in a way that's, I guess, a bit more standard, which is, you know, sitting with your field notes or your or your readings and just you know assembling things together. I also did a super interesting thing once uh, for one of the chapters of my PhD so I am it in 2013 or 14 or something where I put all the things I wanted to put down on a piece of paper on little not post-it notes but these like library index cards and then I just sat and arranged a whole thing to try and find a different way of structuring the ethnography that I wanted to write rather than just following the standard thing. so I guess in some with experimentation. So I don't have a favorite book, but I just thought, what's the last book I read? I'm sorry if that's okay. And it, the last book I read was The Melancholy of Resistance by Latzlo Krasnodorokai. And it's a b- book by a Hungarian writer. And it's, I liked it a lot. And the reason why I liked it a lot was because uh, maybe pertinent to the conversation that we had, it showed the inept stupidity of leaders when faced with crises.
12: Michelle Schweisberg, Professor of Comparative and International Education at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. I have to force myself. I really have to force myself. I I give myself lots of talkings to, and I do all sorts of avoidance things, and then I talk to myself again, and then I sit down, and I, more often than not, I kind of work out what I'm trying to argue. I try to start with a narrative. And then kind of infill from there. So from the narrative, create a structure from the structure, sort of think about what data or what literature is going to, is going to support this. But I do tend to start, I guess I think of it almost as storytelling, but it, you know, not, not fiction, obviously, I hope, but I'm always looking for that narrative thread through the research. And then when I'm writing, that's what I'm presenting and and using the rest as vehicles for presenting that. Uh, my PhD supervisor was Robin Alexander, and I still think that his book, Culture and Pedagogy, is not only a brilliant piece of research, but it is so beautifully set out. Um, you know, I don't, I would challenge anyone to sit down and read it cover to cover, but it is, it is an extraordinary piece. And he writes very, very well. That makes a really big difference, actually.
13: Uh, Michael Crossley, uh, Professor of Comparative and International Education at the University of Bristol in the UK. Somewhat like an artist does in a way, I don't do it in a mechanistic way. I sort of craft it. I know this through agonising experience, but I like to fine-tune whatever I've written, often narrow it down, not narrow it down, often make it more accessible but the struggle is to do that without losing the complexity of the issues that you're dealing with. So I find it more of an artistic process, and the fine-tuning that comes at the very end is absolutely vital. No one favourite, because they keep changing over time. The same with books, they keep changing over time. But when I was an undergraduate student doing comparative education... I was inspired by a lecture by Philip Foster, who was visiting the UK from the United States. And Foster was, for me, a very clear speaker, very clear thinker, and very clear writer. Janelle
14: Scott, I'm a professor at UC Berkeley. I am a tortured, miserable writer, and I hate it. So I enjoy having written, but I don't enjoy writing. And so I think. The way I approach it is I now know that about myself. I remind myself that I'm going to be so happy in the end. And I try and suffer through writer's agony um, because I know what's on the other side is brings incredible euphoria and satisfaction. Um, I'm going to go novel instead of academic. Um, my favorite book is called Mama Day by Gloria Naylor. And it is a beautiful book about uh, a young woman, Coco, and her relationship to her ancestors in a Georgia Sea Island. And it's about, I think, very much African and African-American ways of knowing that are mystical and
2: spiritual
14: and also quite real. Um, and I find myself coming to that, returning to that book over and over again since it was published.
15: My name is um, Mario Novelli. I'm a professor in the political economy of education at the University of Sussex in the UK. I think with great difficulty and trying to carve out space in an academic world where we're so full of so many tasks that it's difficult to carry something for a long enough period to feel like you're getting your brain around it. So carving out time I think is really important and yeah, I guess I'm kind of one of those that says, try to get the stuff out on paper because at least you can discuss it, don't hold it just inside your head, so try not to get, you know, stuck in the middle when you realise that you haven't read enough, keep going and then come back and try to resolve those issues, but don't break the flow, but you know, to be honest, I, I do find it really challenging these days to carve out that space um and kind of keep looking for this mythical several months that never appears where i'll be able to do everything that i haven't done but you know increasingly recognizing that that will just never happen so i just have to keep getting up early in the morning who's
0: your favorite writer in one
15: Um, i have several i love walter rodney and i love him because he embodies in his writing and the topics that he explores what i would say is this kind of to this scholar that is really engaged in social transformation and you know I I find that consoling even if it's an aspiration rather than something you can ever reach then I like Nancy Fraser a lot I like Nancy Fraser because I think that she does the groundwork in making us think about difficult issues and try to conceptualise them and pull them together and provides frameworks for us to move forward and think about stuff so so, you know, if I think over the years from, you know, recent book, Predatory uh, Capitalism this year, but work on leaning in feminism, uh, there's a whole range of issues, I think, that Nancy Fraser has, has brought in that really help us to conceptualise. And then I think um there are a group of scholars that i have really been influenced by, Edward Said, Arturo Escobar, Boaventura de Sousa Santos. And I think what I like about them is both... The complexity of their thinking and also their capacity to point you towards different wisdoms, different knowledges, different canons and and make you realise that. So I think I'm indebted to, you know, they're all operating in a sense on that kind of border between economy and culture and opening up these issues. And I found that um, challenging and difficult but really important in terms of framing uh, issues and thinking about things.
16: I'm Natasha Wariku, and I am Stern Professor in the Social Sciences in the Department of Sociology at Tufts University. Writing is a very painful process, I think, for most people who write. When I'm kind of in the middle of, say, the first draft, it's really about, like, outlining and, like, forcing myself to, like, take the first two hours of the day and just, you know, I tell myself, okay, a thousand words today. But, and the other thing that I wish I had done early in my career, um, which seems obvious, but maybe isn't obvious because I, I didn't do it was to sort of say, what am I trying, what's the genre I'm trying to write in? And let me go find like five examples of this and look at like kind of reverse outline it, right? What do they do in that first paragraph in the first chapter in the, you know, if it's an article in the first, you know, in the introduction and in the different, what are the, the different sections um, to really kind of Demystify the sort of polished end piece. how do you, like how does what does that look like? And when you do that, you see there are patterns, right? Not everybody's writing follows the uh, the same pattern, but there are certain elements that are always there that you kind of intuitively get that that's why you like this or why you found this compelling, but by really kind of codifying that, I think can be extremely helpful. So that's the advice I would give to people, even though it took me a long time to start doing that. So, you know, I'll talk about academic books. I like academic books that are very accessible and that make, kind of illuminate something that was not necessarily obvious to begin with. So, you know, one thing that one book is, is kind of a classic is Annette LaRoe's Unequal Childhoods, where she t- develops these ideas of concerted, cal- different kinds of parenting by class, concerted cultivation versus the accomplishment of natural growth. What I love about the book is that it's very readable and it, she kind of takes these two really complex ideas and really like, but makes them very intuitive and doesn't, but, but not in a reductive way. So in the text, you know, she's always talking about, well, this, but here's a different, you know, piece of data that says something slightly different, but you really sort of come away with the complexity. And yet you can, like, there are key ideas that emerge as well. That's very hard to do, but, uh, that's one model that I have sort of for what I, what I strive to do. So my name
17: is Francine Manashi, and I'm an associate professor at OISE at the University of Toronto. I approach my writing by, I have at least three writing blocks a week, first thing in the morning for about an hour, hour and a half. And I usually take a little bit of time every couple of weeks planning what I'm going to do within those writing blocks. I stick to them. I put them in my calendar. They are a meeting with myself and nobody can interfere with that. Sometimes they move around from day to day, but there needs to be at least three of them. Um, I also have a little writing group with two old, old friends and we meet every other week and we set goals for ourselves for the next time that we're going to meet. Um, we just do these little meetings over Zoom, but I'm a big believer in you make a schedule, you stick to it and nothing can come in the way of it. It's gotten easier as my kids got older though. I have to say that. Make a schedule, stick to it. Also remember that writing includes reading, that writing includes making outlines, that writing includes editing, but for sure, make sure you carve out time as a meeting with yourself. It is the most important thing in terms of getting your thesis completed. Um, And so don't let someone say, Hey, come organize this conference with me, but you can't do any writing for three weeks. Well, then maybe you should say no. So I'm going to probably go a little bit off in this answer, and I'm going to pick a science fiction author, Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, She's my favorite fiction author, but she's really my favorite author in general. I think that science fiction is... Half of how I think about the world differently is by reading sci-fi novels and watching sci-fi new uh, movies. And her work in particular really lets you see the world in a different way. And she had that great quote, which I'm going to completely mess up, but she had a quote that was, "We, we all think we can't change the world. I think she was talking about capitalism and that everything is inevitable, but we also thought that way about the divine right of kings.
18: My name is Judith Landeros. I am a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Texas at Austin, studying curriculum instruction in the Cultural Studies and Education program. How do I approach writing? In the phase I'm in now, I like to not have an expectation, you know, like go in knowing that I am writing, but everything I'm thinking isn't just coming from me. It's coming from ancestors. It's coming from guidance, you know, around me. And that it's this like connection in order to be able to write down, you know, the things, the stories that are meant to be told. And sometimes that doesn't go very well with academic writing because you have to like write by a certain deadline and do all these things. But, you know, trying to like there's moments where you just have to like write in and, you know, get it out. But I feel like that's when I enjoy it the most when I approach it that way. I have so many favorite writers. I feel like I have like the poets, you know, or the creative writers and like the education researchers, but I wrote some down beforehand so I wouldn't forget. Or if I don't know where they're at now, but I was thinking of Leanne Simpson. It really impacted me as grad student. Bell Hook, Sandy Grande, um, and there are many more.
19: My name is Luis Urrieta and I'm a professor of cultural studies of education in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at the University of Texas at Austin. The conditions have to be good for me. They have to be right. I can't sit down and write for 15 minutes. I've heard people say like, oh yeah, 30 minutes and then another 30 minutes. and I need a sustained block of time because I need to get into what I'm going to do. You know, I feel that the energy that we put into the work the emotion, the the spiritual part of that has to be there because we put life into these inanimate things that then become animate and that's the energy, that's the life that others will receive. And so I, I have to really prepare myself mentally, physically, spiritually to sit down and do this. So um, when I'm really busy, with a lot of other things that distract me, that's not a good time for me to write. Uh, we share we share similar interests with, with Judith, obviously, uh, Sandy Grande, Audra Simpson. There's newer, younger writers that I really admire. Uh, Floridalma, Boj Lopez, David Barillas-Chon, senior writers from the Global South, Silvia Rivera Kusikanki, Aura Cumes, and others.
0: A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshheadpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Freshhead are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Freshhead, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Freshhead's team includes Fatih Aktas, Obafemi Ogunleye, Annabella Afroboteng, Phyllis Che Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of NORAG, the Shock Dev Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.